there's a sense of belonging in that, right? So when you feel included, you feel, you know, a part of the fabric of this team or this organization. And it's when you can really do your best work. When you don't feel that, you're spending a lot of time and energy focused on how do I, you know, get included? How do I break through? And wouldn't you want people spending that energy and that time on being the best, you know, colleague they can be? Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back. Today, I have for you Teresa Torres, who is the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer over at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Prior to that, she worked as a leader at ADP, Verizon, and Merrill Lynch, and she loves her work and is inspired by the talent and knowledge of the others that she gets to work with and believes that success is a unique journey defined by the individual. So looking forward to the interview. Um, the opinions that I'll express will be my own and do not necessarily represent those of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Teresa, woo, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, let's do this thing. So first question coming your way here. So what exactly does the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York actually do? Well, it's all about inclusion. And so really, you know, my role is to ensure that diversity, equity, and inclusion is infused into all of our people practices, into everything we're doing every day. So rather than thinking of it as a standalone or separate strategy or Mm -hmm. something that is, you know, you work with employee resource groups and you work with external partners and it's, you know, kind of a siloed um, approach to it, we really have embedded DE&I into every single thing that we do from, you know, our competencies at the bank to our people strategy, it is completely embedded throughout, you know, so, all man, so I love that. And obviously you got a lot of people over there. So this is important yeah. to cover as a big job for listeners today. Let's just say maybe they've got a company of like a hundred people, maybe less, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know what? I don't really think we have much of a strategy around inclusion and, or maybe they don't even know. So like they, maybe they've read about it, they know it's important, but they have no idea where to start. What is a first step that you'd recommend to them to get something going around inclusion in their organization? You know, that's a, that's a really great question. And I would, I would ask before you embark on anything to reflect on what does inclusion mean? And yeah, great. And, and if you think about it, you know, everyone can close their eyes and think about a time where they really felt included, 
whether it was at a family gathering, you know, on a sports team, on a project you worked on, that feeling that you felt your voice was valued, that you were contributing and you were actually helping to shape the outcomes. And mm-hmm. then conversely, if you think about a time when you weren't, when you didn't feel included, whether it was walking into the cafeteria in high school and not knowing where to sit or not being invited to something or being in a meeting and, you know, your comments are not being, you know, attributed to you or, or being listened to. And you think about how that felt and it's mm-hmm. not the best feeling. And so I would ask everyone before you embark on anything to just really understand this is not about, you know, we, the work in DE&I often when I talk to people, it's, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, it's about race. It's about gender. It's about, this is about everyone. Everyone wants to feel included. Everyone wants to feel valued. And if you can start there, then you'll start to craft strategies that are inclusive of everyone in your organization and not just one group or another group. You know, I love how you just nailed it with that because it does seem like, oh, here comes HR and they've got their inclusion thing. It's like talking about employee engagement or this and that. And the way you, the way you talked about it, it generates empathy because you're like, hey, you're, everyone knows what it's like not to be accepted on their team at some right. point, unless you're like, I don't know, Bo Jackson back then. You seem to be able to play every sport, but there's right. always some, there is a moment in the lunchroom in high school where, where you go to a new school. Yeah. Uh, my daughter's starting a new school uh, this year, middle school, and she's was was grew up in one school. And she was sort of like the leader and she was the person maybe trying or maybe not, I don't know, trying to reach people to uh, to include people. And now she's having this experience of inclusion in a middle school where everyone seems to know each other and she's the new kid. It's the first time. And I think it's the first time where she's really not truly felt included immediately. And it's been an amazing experience for her and for us. It's actually, it's probably harder for us as the parents. To, Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, us to have this experience. And I love how, as a leader, you just gave the listeners a great talking point to talk about inclusion and to think about it for themselves. Because, man, if you can include people, people and get them having that feeling of inclusion, they're more likely to include others. Yeah. And clearly, they're going to be more dedicated to doing a great job at work. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a sense of belonging in that, right? So when you feel included, you feel, you know, I'm part of the fabric of this team or this organization. And it's when you can really do your best work. When you don't feel that you're spending a lot of time and energy focused on how do I, you know, get included? How do I break through? And wouldn't you want people spending that energy and that time on being the best, you know, colleague they can be. So a couple of things that, that I've noticed at this school around inclusion, and I want to get your take in terms of how you do this in a work environment, mm-hmm. but a couple of things, and these are just really top of mind for me. So they have a counselor at lunch that doesn't really get involved, but they observe what's going on in the lunchroom and they have a no lone wolf rule, meaning that if you're at lunch, you're not allowed. If even if you want to sit by yourself, you have to sit with someone at lunch. Uh, you can't sit by yourself. 
And the counselors, when they observe something where a, a kid's been dining with a group for a while, and all of a sudden they're not, there's probably right. some kind of conflict and they don't necessarily immediately get involved, but maybe they ask a few questions. And I'm just kind of rolling this back to um, what do you, as thinking about belonging and thinking about inclusion, how are you as a leader, like what are your go-to tactics and strategies for for making all this happen and increasing it? Well, I think education is a big part of it. And mm-hmm. we we have very much focused on conscious inclusion. So, you know, just like anything that's important in your life, in, in our world, it takes practice. And when you think about, you know, we often talk about unconscious bias and everyone has it, right? So it doesn't, I'm not saying it because like, oh, that's, you know, only you have unconscious bias, you know, manager or only you have, no, we all have it because it's a shortcut based on experiences that we've had in our life. And we're, we're processing so many different pieces of information every day. And so Mm -hmm. we, our brain is going to tend to shortcut, right? If, you know, I'm presented with this situation, it's similar to something I've experienced before, I'm autom- automatically going to the outcome is going to be X. Mm. And what, mm-hmm. you know, what we try to do with everyone is, you know, take a pause, especially, you know, in a work situation, before you're going into any people process, take a pause and and really reflect on, as I'm making these decisions, are they based on demonstrated you know, behaviors or demonstrated performance, or am I making decisions because, hey, I, you know, worked with this person most recently in the last two weeks and they did a great job. So they're, they're recent to me. And so I'm going to mark them higher versus the one that did something great in February, right? Mm. Or this person went to my alma mater and loves the same Mm. kind of sports I love. And so am I tending to give them more benefit of the doubt than others because they're very much like me. And so, you know, really guiding leaders, people leaders to think about, you know, before you put pen to paper, let's just reflect on the things that will automatically come into our brain from a shortcut perspective. And let's, let's try and like short wire some of those and, and really think about things in a very demonstrated you know, data-driven way versus based on, you know, things that are more of our preferences. I like that. I like that. And it, and you, like you mentioned, data-driven, uh, is there, and I'm sure there, there probably is like, like when we're having these conversations, are you leading with the data and you're saying, Hey, as a business, we know that when we have a more inclusive atmosphere and culture, it drives better results or you do you lead with more of the, Hey, this is the right thing to do. And for the culture that we want to create. Well, I think the right thing to do conversation, you know, I think we've all had that conversation. It's, you know, we, it is the right thing to do because if you think about the world that we operate in, it's a very diverse world. And so, you know, reflecting the world and the, and the customers and the individuals that we serve is, I would hope by this point is more, yeah, absolutely. But when you ask about the data, 
it's very it's very important to provide insights into that data and mm. kind of have a data storytelling narrative in the conversations mm-hmm. because a lot of times when you look at say a scorecard or a tremendous amount of data people may not be connecting the dots on that and I really try to work with my team and colleagues to connect those dots. So if I'm seeing, hey, when you look at, you know, the pipeline of individuals that you're recruiting, and then you look at performance management and how that plays out across dimensions, and then you look at promotions and how that plays out, and then you look Mm -hmm. at representation. And if you can help people understand, you know, this this is what I'm seeing, whether it's a trend or not a trend. And then this is when you think about the, you know, the communities we serve, here's, here's what that looks like. And we have an opportunity to close that gap because obviously we're not getting, you know, our fair share of the talent that is available to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then connecting it to, you know, there's, there's so much research on, you know, productivity of diverse teams and how you, you know, gain more revenue and all of that. And I think you can always pull those into the conversation, but it's really helping leaders understand and colleagues understand, you know, at any organization, what are the numbers telling you? And what are those opportunities that you can glean from that data to really help, you know, put put concrete actions in place? Boom. Playbook there. <laughs> no, it was great. And it's not, and I like how you paired the data with the narrative and putting those together. And that is really an overlooked leadership skill that people need to, need to learn in their career. A lot of times they're, they're rewarded by, provi- by providing the data early on and identifying, you know, maybe opportunities in that, but then they get frustrated because people don't really hear it. They don't see it. They don't notice it. And when you mentioned, you know, really resonated with me laying the narrative over that, it creates a much more compelling call to action for senior senior leaders. Yeah. Um, so moving the moving the ball forward a little bit in the conversation here, uh, uh, Teresa. When's the time that your medal was tested as a leader, and what did you learn from it? Wow, when my medal was tested as a leader, um, I. At one point in my career, I was at an organization and the culture was one that was very, I, I don't want to say cutthroat, but I used to equate it to kind of the Hunger Games. <laughs> and um, That's basically cutthroat or maybe it's. And, and it was, and it was, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. when you go into a new situation, you, you know, you assess the culture and it had been kind of a longstanding practice that, you know, kind of to get things done, I was told you have to have sharp elbows. And Mm -hmm. that just isn't my leadership style at all. And I kept being put into situations where, you know, it was like, well, you've got to do it this way. And I, you know, and I kept saying, if I do it that way, it's going to, it's going to get me a gain maybe for a couple of days. But the minute there's an opportunity that, you know, there's a gap in anything I'm doing, I'm going to feel the full brunt of the repercussions of that. I would rather bring people along mm-hmm. and and get people to understand and influence, you know, the naysayers as to why we're doing something. And 
you know, it was, it was a, it really tested me because I was being asked to lead in a way that didn't feel authentic to me, but was very much the norm. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't do it that way. I built alliances. I brought people along. I gave, you know, I think there's the the joke about project management. You know, there's all these different stages of, you know, it's not, I'm not part of it. And then when it's successful, like, oh, I was a big part of it. And no matter what, I was always very much including anyone that had contributed, you know, whether it was small or large. And at the end of the day, was able to, you know, lead a very big project despite all of the challenges and all of the ways I was being asked to do it. And, you know, the satisfaction at the end was, you know, one of the most senior leaders in the organization that, you know, was also telling me to operate that way said, you know what, you, you left your thumbprint. You like, Mm. you really, you really did it, you know, in a different way. And I mean, it, to the point I was being asked, like, who's blocking you, give me names, do this. And I was like, I'm not giving names. Like I am just going to get this done. And it was, it was difficult, but it also showed me that you, you've got, you've got to be true to who you are and not try and, you know, emulate a style just because somebody is telling you to do that. If it feels inauthentic, don't do it because it'll never work for you. I love that story. And the respect you must have earned in that because you did do it your way and it's not like it was any easier. And it sounded like someone was really ready to go in there and throw the sharp elbows on your behalf. Uh, And, but yeah, it sounds like a short, and then like what you said about, it would have been a short-term method to get short-term yeah. results. And it sounds like you were in it for the long haul. Uh, I, I was, and and let me, be, you know, I'm making it sound all rosy right now. It was hard. It was hard to go through that. And it was, you know, coming home and, you know, crying about it or being really frustrated. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that if I, if I just gave in and did it in a way that didn't feel right to me. It was, I, it was not going to be the per. I was not going to be the person I wanted to be. Hmm. Authentic leadership and just had the courage to do that in an organization that had a different style. And it sounds like, I mean, that, that's what leaders do. You know, you, you, sometimes you have to make your own map. You can still get to the same destination, but as a leader, you don't have to, I mean, managers do the playbook that's already been set out. Whereas leaders have to operate in a world where oftentimes there's not a playbook and have the courage to go forward on that. And so it sounds like you got it done your own way. Yeah. Reminds me of a Frank Sinatra song. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> is it there? What is that? Frank we all Sinatra know song? that. We all know that yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. So uh, very, very nice work on that. Okay. Man, there's so many questions and so little time to ask you. Uh, that was, that was a fun, that was a fun story. Entering the Hunger Games, winning the Hunger Games. Yeah, I was counting it your own way. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> oh, so cool. All right. So, what's the one trait you wish you could instill on every employee and why? You're probably going to laugh at this, but I, I really would want to instill positivity. Hmm. And that's because no matter what, if you can see the opportunity or you can you can think about you know what could be a positive outcome you're going to approach it so much differently i think it's really 
it's easier for all of us to focus on, well, this isn't going right, or this hasn't been done, or it wasn't communicated the right way, instead of, and, and putting a lot of energy into that, instead of putting energy into how do I progress myself and my organization forward? How do I, you know, get to like the ultimate outcome of success and really not spend a lot of energy on, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Mm. Yeah. Moving forward with positivity. And it sounds like too, a close second in that would be maybe optimism or possibility or something along those lines from a trait perspective? Yeah, it's just um, nothing, there's there's really nothing good that's going to come from, from focusing on the negative. You know, and, and I'm not, believe me, life is not rainbows and flowers. And, you know, we all have hardships and you have to have the space to be able to process that and, and mourn it in some ways, but spending a lot of time on that and Mm -hmm. not thinking about, okay, that happened. What's next. And how do I, how do I, you know, put my energies to that? I think, you know, kind of hinders us, right. Because we're, we're kind of getting in our own way of moving forward. Yeah. And by the way, it's way better and more fun to work with people when they're looking forward to going to work and they're finding a reason to look forward to working on that big challenge versus saying, man, no matter what we do, it's not going to help. Right. So trying to find that spark of possibility. I love that. Yeah. And I think every leader could benefit from looking to instill that in their team's mindset on a daily basis. Uh, So we often work with uh, leaders around the catastrophic cost of turnover that their that their teams are facing. Is this something that you believe that other leaders should be focusing on? On on the the, the on, cost of turnover. Yeah, I think you know what I what I find really interesting is mm-hmm. you know you can look at turnover. And we all know, I mean, there's such a cost to it, right? There's a cost to the institutional knowledge that's lost, Mm -hmm. to the disruption to the team, to, you know, increase workloads for the individuals that are still there. But I, you know, rather than focus on the turnover, I, I would want to get a better understanding of how employees are feeling before the turnover occurs, right? Mm -hmm. So that you can start to take preventative methods um, and approaches to keeping your talent because once you know someone's turned over, it's done. And you could look at, you know, are we seeing, you know, um, trends in why people are leaving? And but why wait until then? Like, why aren't you engaging with your employees to understand employee sentiment? And if there's things that are not working for people, addressing them before individuals leave. Yes. So I I would say, you know, yes, you have to track the turnover and you have to look at, look at, you know, the impacts, but I would rather be preventative and look at how you retain people. Yeah. It's the old Ben Franklin quote about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and focusing upfront and trying to predict it. It sounds like you're into data yourself. So you're probably looking for those trends, maybe looking for people that may be on the, on the verge of quitting or, or disengaging and trying to get ahead of it. 
And yeah, if and leaders can be that proactive, it makes a big difference. I, I agree. And it's not all the same for every individual. You know, it's co- commonly when people talk about turnover, it's like, oh, you know, it was a bigger job and more money. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. not always necessarily that. It could be, you know, I didn't feel there were development opportunities or, you know, I wasn't getting feedback or I don't feel I get, you know, robust feedback or I don't see, you know, opportunities for me to maybe do something different. Mm-hmm. It's not always just about, you know, a bigger role or more money. And especially when you think about the generation that's coming into the workforce now, you know, with Gen Z going from, I think it's 8 million to 55 million over the next 10 years in the workforce, what they're looking for is different, right? Than Mm -hmm. generations before. Mm -hmm. And so being able to, you know, before you get into a turnover situation, you know, understanding, you know, for everyone in your organization, what do they value? from an employer and, and really making sure that you're conscious of that and you're being proactive to address those needs. Yeah. And, and I like that. It really takes the, the employee as the individual and charging their managers to understand this and have those conversations around what they want and recognizing that based on where they are in their life, it may change. They may maybe saving for a house because they would have a family, this and that, or they may be just single and wanting to save up and have amazing vacations or they're looking to accelerate their career and get promoted. But I mean, I can tell you not a lot of people, at least in my career, when I were back in the corporate, uh, corporate world, uh, asked that question of me and I didn't understand it by the way, in a way that I could have been articulating what I wanted to them. I thought it was their job to read my mind basically (laughs) and figure out what I want even though I had no idea for myself. So that's kind of the flip side of it. But if yeah. both parties are trying to, number one, articulate what they want and the other parties trying to extract that information, then I think you can have some beautiful possibilities for people's careers in their, in their organizations. You know, you just said something that, that made, that made me think of, of something else is, you know, depending on generations, right? It was kind of, if I, if I just put my head down and work really hard, I'm going to get recognized and I'm going to get promoted. I'm going to advance and everything. And the reality is anything in life, anything in life has to come from us individually, whether it's owning your career, whether it's Mm. your health and wellness, um, it's your, you know, relationships, it's got to come from the individual. And so, you know, really just accepting that and and kind of internalizing it because yes, there's there's going to be individuals that will recognize your performance and maybe become a mentor or a sponsor, but it ultimately has to come from you. Yeah, it's that word taking ownership and yeah. really being willing to do the hard work to figure out what you want. I mean, it's amazing what happens when people actually determine that for themselves. Yeah, and it kind of opens up the playbook for well. Yeah, I had a great sponsor, but do you be able to articulate what to them what you really wanted so they could really help you out? And uh, that this idea of mind reading doesn't usually work out very well unless you get lucky. So, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, for the listeners, that's something to play, something to start with. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. 
go to benfanning.com slash insight. So what are three success strategies that every employee needs to understand? Although I will recognize that we've already hit probably five or six during this episode. So feel free to bring any of those in here. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, when I, and, and again, these are, these are my views and, and not anyone else's, but I think the three success strategies that, that I would share with anyone that talks to me about their careers is one, owning your own career. No one's going to do it for you. Um, the other one is build a really strong network, not only within your organization, but externally. This is how you'll get most of your opportunities. It's how I've gotten pretty much every job that I've ever had was through those professional networks, but also, you know, volunteer networks, whether I was serving on a nonprofit board or I was volunteering for an employee resource group and, you know, was was really connecting with external organizations that's how I built my network that has helped me throughout my whole career, mm. whether, you know, in, in great economic times and in really poor economic times. And then the other piece for me would be the third would be develop and support others, because this is going to come back to you when you need it most. Those individuals are also going to be part of your strategic network and will help you connect to opportunities and help you connect others to opportunities. Love Heading on number two on the network piece, uh, what is your favorite networking strategy? I volunteered a lot. So when, you know, gosh, I think back to my time at Lehman Brothers, I was involved in a lot of the employee resource networks. And, you know, often people say, I don't have time for that. Or, you know, I was sitting on a nonprofit board. I don't have time for that. And yeah, you know what? You're going to sacrifice time and you're going to sacrifice time after work on the weekends. But what it got me was exposure to Mm. leaders in other business lines that I would have never met in the role that I was in, exposure to individuals in different industries and different types of disciplines. And so when I was thinking of making a move or during the last economic meltdown when, you know, things were happening and jobs were precarious in financial services where where I sat at the time, I had such a broad network across so many different industries to reach out to and, you know, get those opportunities. So I would say it's work. You definitely have to put the time in. You're going to give of your own time and efforts, but it helps you build a very, very strong connected network that will help you throughout your career. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that, Teresa, because two things going on. Number one is obviously we're kind of coming out of this pandemic and a lot of those have uh, disbanded or been strained or kind of gone virtual, but now they're coming back in person. And I think it's important for people to recognize, hey, these are emerging again. And what a great opportunity to get in early as these things are coming back. And I'm kind of glad, although I use LinkedIn each and every day, uh, I'm kind of glad you didn't say that because I think that's that's what people seem to be more comfortable doing now. And, yeah. you, and I, th- I think people, I think we need that as leaders for networking and connecting, but let's be honest. I mean, you're not exactly accomplishing a lot with the people that you're connecting with on LinkedIn, like you would be in a volunteer organization where you're actually out doing good in the world or you're, you're helping each other uh, in, in a different ways. And so anyway, I'm just glad you really, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. 
Uh, last question. What's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could go out and purchase? Oh, wow. You know, I was really, I, I, I love this question. So the obvious one is something that we all pretty much have at this point is our phone, right? So that's a gadget people can get. But I'm going to give you a different twist. Um, during the pandemic, you know, we were we were all just, you know, sequestered in our homes. And it, I, I think it was, not that I think, it was very stressful for all of us. And one of the best ways for me to relieve stress is working out. And so during the pandemic, you know, gyms closed everything. It was impossible to get any weights, things like that. But I was able to order a tonal. And so oh, it, nice. is, it is on my wall and it's magnetic weights and it has a bunch of classes. And for me, that's, that's my, my place where I'm not thinking about work. I can just be physically active and clear my mind. And everyone has different ways that they clear their mind, whether it's reading, walking, you know, for me, it's, it's working out. And so that really, it's a, it's a really cool gadget, but it really helped me continue to be able to be present and contribute, you know, to the extent, to the, to the greatest extent and having that stress relief. Yes. And a lot of people, I mean, uh, the people did not get healthier during the pandemic. I mean, the research shows that not, not, and I'm not just talking about people were getting yeah. COVID people weren't yeah. being as active and they were not eating as well. And so it's had a negative impact and we may not really understand the impact yeah. for years to come. It certainly wasn't helpful for mental uh, wellness yeah. either. And the fact that you identify that and took, took action to say, Hey, how can I get that workout? If you're, if you like weight workout, you know, in my home and those tonals look pretty darn cool. And this is not advertisement for tonal, but they, <laughs> they are pretty cool. They allow you to utilize a small space and mm -hmm. do lots of different weight bearing yep. exercises, right? Yep. Yep. And, and what's great is everyone in that everyone in the house ended up using it. So everyone has a profile on it, oh, except okay. for the except for the two two dogs. They do not have a profile. <laughs> not on yet, at least. They don't have but, the dog um, Yeah, it was it's great. And I and I think you know to your point, there was so much going on over the last two years. And I think what really I've always been very focused on health, but I think it it really highlighted to me that we all need to take care of like really focus on taking care of ourselves mm -hmm. so that we can, you know, help others and work with others because, you know, you would talk to people and they'd been working since seven o'clock in the morning and no one had left their house. And we were all like, all right, someone needs it. We need to go walk outside or we, yes. and it's, it's just that self-care that is the first thing that usually goes out the window. I think, you know, that really hit home for me that that was critically important and I needed to make that a priority every day. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Teresa, thank you for coming on. I mean, we really, it was so cool going down the rabbit hole on inclusion. It wasn't something that we've, you know, we've been over 130 interviews now and we haven't really had an executive go, go there. So in, in such a great way with some great practical strategies, I loved talking about positivity. I mean, it's such a great reminder for people that this simple mindset that we can bring for ourselves and for our employees is such a powerful way to make a positive impact and get results. It was fun talking about. Turnover. I mean, turnover never 
seem so fun. <laughs> and, and the great story about the time that your medal was tested in the Hunger Games environment, which I think we've all probably been in, myself included, uh, one time or another. And then just going down about the, the networking and then talking about a cool device that people can can uh, can use to maybe help their health, help their wellness overall. So thanks again, Teresa. Well, thank you. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.